This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. All right, on Eternal Leadership today, uh, we have a great new friend, Greg Centineo. Greg, welcome to the podcast. John, thanks. Good to be here with you. So I was telling a friend of mine, Greg, you know, you, you and I, you reached out to me and I'm like, oh, let's, let's have a, let's talk before we do a podcast. And man, and I thought I was always kind of a big dreamer and a big thinker. And I was sharing with my wife and a good friend of mine. I'm like, wow, Greg just stretched me and it was awesome. And I'm so glad you're here just sharing your story, what you're doing now, but also how you think about things, Greg, is just powerful. So thank you, my friend, for, for who you are and the impact you've already had on my life just after one conversation. Thank you, John. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm really glad that I, I, I was able to have you know an impact on you. That's great. It's kind of what it's all about for, for all of us. Yeah, isn't it, though? Well, you know, a little background about Greg. Um, Greg is, you know, one of those guys, he's a CEO that other people turn to to turn great ideas into reality. Uh, I think that'd be pretty fair, Greg. That's kind of a hallmark of what you've done is is also to just attract large numbers numbers of people together, unite behind a, a mission, a vision, and and create a movement. Absolutely, John. And everything that I've done, it's 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 kind of it's kind of the pattern that has that has you know found itself, and now obviously later on in my life, become more intentional about that as I started to understand it. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, because, uh, well, my gosh, it was 17 years ago. Um, that's when you started Two Street Coffee Garage. You turned that into a franchise, and um, you also were one of the people behind um, uh, the animated film Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return. There's some r- really powerful story there, uh, some things that you did that were absolutely unprecedented. And following that, you, you uh, founded or co-founded Pulse Evolution Company, and that is this incredible company that's doing digital human animation and you're, you're working, you're the one that did the, uh, uh, the animation with the, with Michael Jackson. Is that correct? Yeah, we did the Michael Jackson hologram at the billboards, 2014 billboard awards. And then also the, the, my partners and that also did the Tupac, um, at Coachella back in 2012, that his hologram, that's pretty. That's some cool stuff you're doing. But you, you know, you're a public speaker. Um, you know, you're you, you do a lot of work. Uh, with, you know, with some large ventures, you do a lot of work advising C-level executives on leadership and fundraising. Um, but you know, I have so many questions I want to ask you, Greg. But you know, before we dive into that, I'd love to hear kind of the story of your journey in your own words. You know, it's been it's been one of just kind of being illuminated over time. You know, understanding. Like everybody else, right, you, John? You, you dropped off in this world as a as a baby. There's no, there were no instructions taped to your hip when you came out. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> you know, and you have to kind of figure it out. And there's, you know, for our listening audience here, right? I mean, there's you you find that in life, this you know, you become aware of spirituality, and and then there's there's a thousand religions out there, and everyone says you know there there's the right way, and then you have piece all that together. So 
you know, the journey for me was just a, was just beginning to understand, you know, where, where am I, <laughs> you know, why am I here and how am I going to get through this place, you know, of life and, um, and who am I going to get through it with? And, and so it's been a real great 53 years for me of, um, of journeying along and, and understanding, you know, truth and understanding spirituality and, and God and, 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 and not just those, I always say Jesus and concepts and God and all that is, is, is out there, but then, but you still stuck with everyday three dimensional work, you know? And, and so then how through that everyday three dimensional work, do you kind of tap into that, to that fourth dimension, that spirituality and, and be connected and yet, and then figure out what it is we have to do here, you know, on this planet while we're here. And so it's been, it's been an absolute amazing trajectory for me, uh, over the years of figuring it out, trying to do things, you know, not, not being, you know, at times just being open to try whatever things that come my way. And, and, uh, and one thing for certain, John is I've learned is not allow fear to stop me. Now it doesn't mean it's going to, it's going to mitigate, but it's there, but to become brave in those situations so I can go ahead and do what I believe I should be doing at any given time in my life. And so that's kind of been, that's, been my pathway and and boils down to 53 53 years later it boils down to the same thing i believe that was around when i started is it's all about love you know love love yourself and love the people that you that are around you and um and and then and then do great things all about love and do great things that's uh that's powerful uh and i you know is we're going to kind of get into your story man there's been so many I, you know, I guess highs and lows, but you know, you are somebody that's definitely not only passionate, but focused and intentional. And I think there's a lot of people too, that, you know, they're kind of in that mode. They're trying to figure out what is it that I'm here to do? And you talked about tapping into that fourth dimension, you know, is is your, you know, a lot of our audience, you know, they're people that want to create something, they're entrepreneurs, they're business owners. What, what advice would you share with them on how you have connected to that at different seasons in your life, Greg? John, like connecting to that, the fourth, the spirit, in other words? Yeah, the spirit, or really, what is that that vision, that mission, that purpose that's in, you know, today that's going to drive me, you know, drive me forward into creating something? Yeah, it's because, you know, you're here and you have to realize there's got to be a lot more than what we're doing, right? There's got to be a lot more than what we just see. Right. And that's just, you know, as Solomon said, you know, everything under the sun. Right. So, you know, everything under the sun, that's void of 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 the fourth dimension of God and spirituality, you know, it gets monotonous. Right. And, you know, it's just about getting up every day and brushing your teeth and, you know, and doing the same thing the next day. So there's got to be a bigger purpose in life. And you start to, when you start to get in touch with that, you start to realize that, you know, in this world, because because there are some limitations here, but there really are none in reality. So it becomes the driving force um, for me um, to believe that we can do anything that we set our minds to in this world. There's nothing that can't be done. And you look at all the great inventions and discoveries over the history of mankind, and uh, and what do you find? You find that they're always told it can't be done. You know, you'll never fly, right? You'll never get to the moon. 
Um, you'll never create electric, you know, batteries that can run cars, you know, four or five hundred miles. You, you told never. Can Einstein was told he was wrong when he called into question Newton's theories, or actually was they called him facts at the time, and Einstein was wrong, and yet no, he wasn't. So, anything you're going to do in this world, anything big, anything great that you're going to do, you're going to be expect opposition. Expect the majority to tell you you can't do it, and um, and I've learned, John, to understand that. That when they say that to me, I've learned to kind of turn it around and go, I can do it. <laughs> so um, that's great because, you know, I don't listen to it. And you can't listen to it. If you believe, and this is really important for the audience, if you believe you should be doing something, then you need to do it. I, You know, I was talking to a friend the other day and we were talking about, you know, working out. And, you know, John, I'm really big in, in fitness and, you know, I'm, I've been boxing these days, you know, and doing anything I can to kind of push myself, you know, from being comfortable to being discomfort and so forth. And we were talking and, and, you know, group of people said, Hey, you know, we all want to do it, Greg. We all want to box with you. We all want to go with you. And I go, five of us are going to do it. I go, that's the problem. I said, you, you can't, because look, I said, look at the, I said, I'm going to be very honest. Look at the five of you. And I said, obviously none of you have mastered working out. And so if you're going <laughs> to, <laughs> okay, that's 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 called speaking truth in love, buddy. <laughs> in love, you have to because the truth is, if you're going to rely on each other to do something that you, none of you are good at doing, it ain't going to happen. You got to make the decision to do it yourself. Period, and then you'll find people along the way that you, that will inspire you to keep doing it. And that's just like anything in life, John. You know, it's the earliest day when I went to Bible college, you know, Word of Life up in the Adirondack Mountains. I had a, nobody wanted to go. I had to go by myself. John, one of the most profound moments of my life, and it stemmed when I was 21 years old. And, John, in those days, I wouldn't go anywhere alone. I was embarrassed. If I had to go off to a store to buy underarm deodorant, if a, if a buddy of mine wouldn't walk with me to the store, I wouldn't go until somebody can go with me. I didn't want to be alone, right? It was awkward, etc. Until one day... When I was 21, it was Labor Day weekend. It was a Monday, and I wanted to go see the Yankees play the Seattle Mariners. And no one wanted to go. No one. And I thought, you know what, man? I'm going. And, John, I got in my car. I drove to the Bronx. I can see it in my mind as I'm telling you the story. I can tell you it was overcast. I parked my car. I got out of my car. I remember closing my door. I went, bought a ticket, sat right in the first base side. And I had the time of my life by myself, but I met people around me, high-fiving during runs, being scored and talking to people. And I got so excited after doing this on my own and, and not, now, not allowing my future or my, my path to be altered because nobody would do it with me. I wanted to go to the Yankee game, and, I'm, and I went. As soon as the game was over, John, I was so excited I drove to Manhattan, and I went to one of my favorite rib places, Smokey's. And at those days, we had no cell phones. And I picked up a payphone. I called my buddy and I said, hey, Roy, guess where I am now? Smokies, eating by myself. And John, let me tell you the power of that. The power of that, that day for me was it taught me that if I believe I should be doing something, I need to do it, including going to a Yankee game and then eating ribs. And because I did it, John, <laughs> that really did set the pathway for me in the future because as I look back now – most of the things I did, I had a pioneer. Nobody believed in, in what I was going to do. The Legends of Oz, Dorothy, Dorothy's Return Project. I was told not to do it by everyone, including friends and family. Everyone told me, don't do it. But I felt in my soul I needed to. 
And John, I believe if I wouldn't have done the things I did back in those early days, this little thing that sounds so inconsequential, like a Yankee game or eating ribs, was so important in helping me change my thinking uh, that would alter my entire future and, and the future of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of others because of the projects I got, and millions actually, because of the things I got involved with. Make sense? Oh, totally. So, you know, that mindset that you're talking about that you've developed and worked in, what would you call that, Greg? That's great. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's becoming just more self-aware. Mm. I think is the best way to be aware of yourself. You know, it's just simple. It's self-awareness. No, to be aware of yourself. Who are you? What do you th- what What do you think? What do you want? You know, we're always so concerned about everything outside of ourselves that we lose focus about ourselves. And you know, it's in the heart and the soul of who we are as people that God planted things deep inside us. You know, and those things need to come out in the world that we live in. But most times people don't, don't aren't aware of themselves. And so they don't really understand. They're confused. I, you know, God's not a God of confusion, John. I, I hate to, I just, uh, scriptures, he's not a God of confusion. So, and the problem is, is you're confused. You listen to everything outside yourself. John, a little motto I have in life, I taught my kids this. I've taught many people around me. I say, listen, I listen to everyone. I listen to everyone I was going to say. I listen, but I don't follow anyone. I don't follow anyone. I, I listen, I take in information, and then, I, and then I'm aware of me. And I, I process that information. I compare that to what I'm feeling inside myself, to who I am, and then I make my decision. You know, and I think for the audience out there and anyone listening is you have to become aware of yourself. Really important. Like, the, the, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz. I love that, that, that story so much because at the end of the entire movie, yeah. Of the wizard, the wizard looked at everybody and said, and, "And by the way, guys, the answer was always you. The answer was always there. It was inside you. You just didn't look. You looked everywhere but inside you. You know, and that's where the power of the soul comes in. You know, the imprint of the image of God in us. And so, that's what I think it means." Well, you know, I think about that as you know, as you're talking about. And there's been oftentimes in my life, right, where. There's a longing, maybe it's a need, and it's a passion. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of running that through, you, you know, when you have that own lack of clarity or you have an identity that's not really clear. And I'm thinking, you know, how does that, you know, do something great in my life? Um, and, and spend too much time talking about it. But if, you're, if you bring that, and I love what you said, God's not a God of confusion. If you have a passion to, let's say, you know, touch millions of lives— and we acknowledge the fact that, you know what, God has put that that longing, that passion on our heart. How do we take that now and start bringing it out into the world instead of just tucking it away and saying, oh, that was just a dream? What you've done is when you have these, like what you did to put together this film, and you did something that nobody else has ever done, I don't, I don't under, I think, um, in the film industry to raise the money you did as a private individual to create a film but it started with you had a thought and then you acted on it, correct? Yeah, you know, it is, John, perfect. I like the way you led into that, too. Yeah, you know, that started with a conversation. You know, somebody called me from the, from the production company and said, we have, we, we have an idea and we're told, we were told to call you, you know, because you, can, you make things happen. And I was, you know, I was in my 40s at that point, you know, and, 
And when they shared the idea with me, you know, the bottom, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It took me seven months to agree to do it, but I processed what they were doing. I asked three questions. You know, I said, one, do I like, is the idea good? And I thought the idea was fantastic. Two, I asked the second question, would I think anybody else would think the idea is, is good? And I said, yes. And then third, I asked, does it matter if I do this? Will it really matter? Right. Mm-hmm. And all three of those questions were positive answers to those things. And my and what and the end that and, and everyone listening, it's really important is that third question. Does it matter? And and for me is meaning. Right. What does it mean to do it? And so did I really care about making an animation film? Not really. What, you know, did I have this incredible drive and passion to do animation? I did not. I didn't even think of animation until that phone call. But over the course of seven months, we were sitting in the beginning of a recession. Actually, the recession was just blown up in 2007. And I thought, I woke up one day prior to even getting this phone call, and I thought, how can I help people during this time? Mm-hmm. And so when that call came, I didn't immediately think that was the answer to my question, how can I help? But over the course of seven months of processing, asking questions, doing my my diligence on the on animation i realized that this can actually become an economic noah's ark during the most traumatic time in you know economic history and so and so for me those three questions you know did i think it's a great idea yes i think others would think yes and would it matter yes it can really matter right now at this time and so putting those things together um you know i still said no you you thought i was gonna say yeah right no i said no to it and the reason i said no was i just thought it was such an improbability that i I thought this it's it's impossible it's impossible we're gonna raise money in this recession it's impossible everybody was saying can't do it so i and that was a brutal recession i was um with a wall street firm during that whole period of time and you know raising money for anything during that period of time was, man, that was a serious uphill battle. It almost came to a standstill. You know, I mean, countries were going bankrupt. Banks were going bankrupt. I mean, you know, it was really bad. People were afraid. And you know what, John? And this is what happened. See, trust yourself, right? And I keep saying, so I said no to these guys. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this, man. And, and one of my concerns was the leadership. I didn't think the leadership had it in them to get this done at some points, you know, and and that, those are my doubts. But you know what happened, John? And this is why I say trust yourself, become self-aware, become aware of yourself. I would mm-hmm. wake up in the middle of the night literally thinking about the project because I thought it was a phenomenal opportunity. Matter of fact, I coined it for myself, for Greg Centineo, that was an opportunity of my lifetime at that point because I never got a phone call from Disney, DreamWorks, or Pixar to get involved in the industry, right? So – and it's a very lucrative industry if you can succeed. That was an opportunity for me. But what got me, John, was tossing and turning many nights, just being just being woken up. That's what I say. God's not a God of confusion. I said no. And I believe God wanted me to do this. And it was had to be a yes. So what did he do? He wake me up in the middle of the night. Sound familiar, John? Abraham? That yeah. boy couldn't sleep. Wait, where, where, when do you think he was out? He was out every night in the middle of the night. That, you read the story of Abraham. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. Why? Because God kept waking him, and he's out looking at stars when everybody's sleeping. And so God doesn't, you know, don't worry about God. He'll take care of what he has, what he has to take care of. And I said no, and he's going, you're going to say yeah. And he'd wake me up, and I'd toss and turn. And this was the greatest 
my my greatest concern, John, was I thought it was such a great idea. I thought everybody else would think it's a great idea, and I thought it would really matter in this world if we did this. You know, bring investors in, change their their situation with the economy, and and I said no, but I woke up and I thought, what if these guys actually pull it off? What if they actually do it and succeed? And I said no. And so, John, what I would think about was I would regret that for the rest of my life if I didn't do it. And so that process I just explained to you was this. I was contemplating doing this. I was doing my due diligence. I was evaluating what everybody else was evaluating. And at the end of it, I said no. And yet something would wake me up every night and and would allow me to think through. And I'd think, gosh, I need to do this. I believe in it. I believe it's going to matter, and I need to do it. And so that's when I made my decision to do it. And, and then what happened next? Because I know that was that was a that was a tough period. You're saying yes to something where really the only way forward is is going to be God opening some doors. Oh my gosh, John! John is yeah. You're talking about at that point though was the most, and you can write this down the margin of your minds, everybody. For the next six years, that was the most exciting ride of my life, man. And I want to tell you, Disney, Walt Disney once said, it's fun to do the impossible. And you know what? I can actually tell you what, it, what, what I understand that now. We had the time of our lives doing the impossible. We did it. Raised $122 million in that venture and, and launched that film worldwide. Absolute fantastic musical, great movie. You can actually watch it, John, on Netflix. Down, you know, it's on Netflix. It's on all the major platforms. Um, it was the ride of our lives, pulling off the impossible. I mean, A-list cast, music done by Sony. Toby Chu did the soundtrack. I mean, I, and we opened in forty-two countries, four thousand screens domestically. Never ever happened in the history of of an independent film, let alone never an independent production company ever pulling off an animation film. you know, at the same levels, we did everything at the same levels as the big studios and we did it outside of the studio system. So you can imagine what that was like. It's not enough time on this show, John, if I did all your shows this year, there wouldn't be enough time to tell the stories of what that that was like, but to put it this way, it was the, it was the, it was the most phenomenal six years of my entire life. You know, something you, you wrote, or we talked about before we started talking, right? And when I'd asked you about some of the highlights about your journey and some things you'd like to share and what you talked about, Greg, was meaningful coincidences, which a lot of people view as luck and hard work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, what, you know, what, what creates those, you know, when we're, when we're going through life, right, and things start to connect and you're hearing things and you're, you're stirred and you're waking up at night, um, you know, there, there's a certain group of folks that they don't listen to that. They don't take action on it. And some do. And it, and it sounds like, you know, you're looking at the hard work and then all these points of destiny that have kind of happened in your life that are coming together in this convergence. And you know, mm-hmm. how do you look, how do you, how have you kind of viewed that as you've gone through all these experiences? Man, I can't I can't speak enough about that, John. And I appreciate you bringing that up. I'm actually I'm writing the book. It's coming out in 18. It's called Lucky by Design. And my definition of luck, after researching the word luck, and is is meaningful coincidence. Mm. And um, and for me, it's what I've learned in my life now 
is um, one, you feel something, you have a passion, you, you go ahead and react to that. You do it. You respond to what yourself you know, is communicating to you to do. And then when you do that, what ends up happening is I found that and, – and the ones that I can – that I'm aware of, John – but there's probably millions of these meaningful coincidences that transpired that I'm unaware of. But what happens in life is you you get up and you start doing something and stuff happens. And there's these these you know these coincidences, meaningful moments that you meet somebody because you were doing it, working hard by design to make happen what you believe should happen. And you would encounter people that would actually help you in ways or introduce you to somebody that would actually get you to the next level. And so I realized that I understood the, the proverb from King Solomon when he writes that the righteous will will fall seven times and the wicked will fall once. And that had a profound impact. And I didn't understand that many, many years ago. I had to live my life. I had to go out and do these things. And then that, I had the aha moment with that with that pr- proverb. And it was, my gosh, I got it, man. It's it's And I did it, actually. It's like I fail all along the way. And by the way, the, the, if you're out there and you don't want to fail, let me tell you what you'll never do. You'll never succeed. <laughs> Period. That is, yeah, that is that. That's true. That's so true, isn't it? We you will never put ourselves out there. Well, here's the problem. The problem is fa- what pe- most people don't realize is that the major ingredient to success is failure. So if you don't want to fail, then you don't have the ingredients for success. Failure is not the end of it. You know, there are nine innings in baseball. If you lose, you, you, the team scores two runs in the first inning. Do you go home? We lost. We, we, we're down 2-0. I'm not, I'm not playing the second inning. No, there's a second inning. There's a third inning. There's a sixth inning. There's, a, there's extra innings. There's a full season Think of games. about the uh, Patriots going into the Super Bowl last year. Absolutely. You, <laughs> so you have to change your perspective on failure. Solomon said, you, you better fail. You better be failing because, because if you're not – because catch this, John. If, you, if, you're, if you're keeping score out there of your own life and you're going, I only failed once. I only failed once. I'm doing good. No, no. Solomon said you're evil. You're wicked. He, but, but he said righteous is the guy that keeps failing seven times, and that number's infinity, by the way. Why? Because if you fail once and you, and you only have one in your, in, in, in your, in your log – that means you never got back up again to try again, and you will definitely now never succeed. And that's what his point was. You you have to fall, get up, fall, get up, fall, get up. And by doing that, I learned because I failed. I failed so many times during the Oz project. I had to figure it out. You know, how do you do this every day, John? One of the great questions I would get, which is the, you know, you would assume the question everybody asks: How did you? How did you and your team and raise all that money you know and i would say well i can tell you how but it's not going to help you because the how was i had to figure out how every single day in my life you don't just get up and raise 122 million dollars in a recession you get up thinking how am i going to do this what do i got to do today i mean how do i gonna you every day you get up and figure it out but the true question is why why would why did people get give you money during the recession what was it that made them put money into that project you see in that the answer to that question john is a completely different answer and helps everybody worldwide. I just, you know, and that's the stuff that I want to do, John, now with my life is not just, it's teaching these these principles that I've learned, you know, educating, sharing the stories, 
of because people look at me and go, oh, you so you know, I used to hear it all the time, John. Oh, you're so lucky, you're so lucky, you're so lucky. And I said, I get upset with that, John, because I'm I'm thinking, luck. I work really hard at what I do every day. I mean, I'm tenacious, you know, and I read, I study, I get out there, I build teams. Luck. People always say luck. So you know, for me, it's now helping people understand that it's that there is a thing called luck. Now, again, that doesn't mean the obscurity of, of, of a spiritual almighty being. No, actually, it identifies it. It's meaningful coincidence. If you get up and design and work hard and keep trying, even though you fail, something is going to happen, John. As I tell my kids all the time, I say to my kids, I, if you do nothing, I, Noah, Taylor, my, my son and my daughter, if you do nothing, I guarantee you nothing will happen. But if you do something, <laughs> something I don't happen. know what's happen, but something is going to happen, man. And um, Well, I love the definition of luck. It's where preparedness and opportunity meet. And something I'm thinking of as you're talking, Greg, is you know, your philosophy is to listen to everyone but follow no one. And when if we get into a mindset of comparison and now i'm keeping score so right it's like you know what you've succeeded a business all these different times and i had this business failure so i guess i wasn't meant to succeed i'm not meant to do that and you talked about self-awareness but you know what if we can not compete with others but we can or you know not compare ourselves to others but we can start competing with our best selves develop that self-awareness and now we see failure not as an outcome, but failure is part of the process. It's how we learn. It's how we uh, maybe say, you know what, this isn't a road I should go down, or this is going to help me do better next time, or maybe have a better conversation with somebody, or make a better decision. Everything that we do, if we look in the past at all these things that have happened to us, they are preparing us for something bigger and better in this season versus a lot of people look at that when we're in that that comparison mode as an anchor, and now it becomes something that holds us back, and we have to let go of that mindset. And that mindset you talked about, right? It's really rooted in this, you know, who you are. And I know a lot of people have looked at you and have seen something that maybe you didn't even do, you know, see in yourself. And I know that you've brought that out in so many people around you. I remember when you and I were first talking, and Jules was on the phone. And you shared that just that one story of what you saw in this one person that totally changed their life. And I'd love for you to kind of share also about how you've taken what you're doing for yourself, but you've brought that out in how you mentor, disciple, you know, lead others, Greg. Yeah, John, you know, it's for me, it has always been this. And again, when I say always, I didn't. I wasn't always aware of it, right? And then I started to see a pattern in my life where I really want to help people. You know, I became a minister because I wanted to help people. So I thought the way, the best way to help people is you become a minister, right? And you go out there and you teach them, you know, spiritual truths. And then I realized, well, I don't know if that's the best way. I got to get out there in the world because everybody needs money, right? So if you don't learn how to make money, then you know, how are you going to help them do that? So for me, it it, it became it now in my life, it becomes intentional of. My model, one of my other models in life is I want to do great things and I want to take as many with me as possible. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned something all 
prior, but you know, I I I have a I live in a transformation circle. So I'm transformative in what I do. If if I use a project like animation to transform people's lives, you know, I measure it by three things. If I do a project, and you need to do a project because projects create dynamic, and dynamic creates opportunity, and opportunity draws people. And when you can get people around you, you can then create environments that are really healthy, right? As a leader, my job is to create healthy environments, not build successful companies. See, there's a difference. I will build a successful company by creating a healthy environment for people and to maximize people's abilities. And if people are in a healthy environment and are nurtured and are performing at 90 to 95% of their natural skill sets, guess what you create? High-performing companies, success. And so for me, it's always been about that transformative concept. So Bonnie Radford, who was the producer of Legends of Oz, she used to hear me speak, and she'd be in the audience, and I would say, I can give two rips about animation. And she would just roll her eyes, go, why does he say that? And, you know, it was her whole life. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying, I don't even care about it. And uh, But I, I, used to, I used to quantify that by saying, I, I, I care more about the people that were able to, you know, again, the Legends Project, you know, employed 3,300 people worldwide during the recession. And that should have never happened, that project, John. Mm-hmm. Right? Never should have happened. Never, you'll never get it done. Don't even try. Not only did we do it, we employed 3,300 people during one of the worst recessions globally in the last 100 years. And so transformative. So for me, it was always driving transformation. Now, you mentioned something earlier, and I think it's so important, is who are you competing against? Mm-hmm. And, you know... I used to say this as early as when I was a youth minister, right, in Boca Raton, and, and, and I was having success. I had failure, by the way, in my early days in the youth ministry. I had three kids in my youth group. The church had 2,000 people in it. Guess what? You were rocking. Uh, my, job was on, <laughs> my job was on the line. <laughs> you had three kids in the youth group. I mean, you know, I got a problem, John. They got some big problems. I mean, three kids in my youth group. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, you know, but I had to figure out how to do it, right? And then when, when you know, and all the other and the kids were going to all the other youth groups in Boca Raton, but mine. So you know, but then that turned. You know, within two to three years, I had the largest youth youth group. I was doing the most unique programs, right? Because I was thinking how to really help kids. I didn't want to shove stuff down their throat. I wanted to create dynamic environments for for kids, places where they can feel free to speak and talk and tell us their problems or whatever it was and show a light to them, you know? But, um, and I used to tell the youth pastors in the area, because then you become the guy, everyone's looking look at you like you're trying to take all their kids. I'm not. I, I'll help you too, you know? And I had a program where youth ministers used to come from around the country and spend a weekend with us. And, and I explained philosophically why I was doing this. I explained spiritually why I was doing this. And, and so that they can go back and have the impact too. I wasn't competing against them. I was just trying to be the best version of me in what I was doing, John. When I was in the lending industry, you know what I mean? I started in the bottom of the lending industry. You know, everybody was killing it in the office but me. And then when I succeeded within a year and I was one of the top in the country, I used to tell the other loan officers, I'm not competing against you. I'll share with you why it's working for me. Because I create environments for clients. John, when I, so I never, I used to be very honest, I was competing against myself always. And so that's why I always share what I do with people. It's funny, you know, you go in most environments, sales environments, by the way, they're not sharing any of their stuff because they want to win. I'm, I'm not fighting, I'm not, you know, my competition, I tell people. I'm my own competition. And that's healthy. 
And, um, and so I was always willing to share. And because of that, I wanted my transformation, not only to be in my own environments, but I wanted to influence and inspire other leaders to create those dynamic environments too, so we can really affect the world, right? You know, and, I, and now that's a focus of what you're doing right now, isn't it? Um, um, you, know, and that, you know, that reminds me, I'll never forget, when I was going through Navy flight school, um, if we weren't, if you weren't ranked in the top couple, you weren't going to progress. Like to get into the jet pipeline that I really wanted to get into, only one or two people in a class of thirty or forty would, you know, be able to get to that cutoff. And when I when I went down to flight school, Greg, my dad said, "Hey, listen, there's going to be a guy down there that everybody's talking about. He's just crushing it. Just get to know that guy, make him your friend, and see if he'll share with you what he's doing." And that guy, his name was John Foster, and he shared everything that he was doing, his mindset, how he prepared, how he got ready for flights, what he did afterwards. And I modeled what he did, and I quickly rose to being number one in the in pipeline. And because John had shared that with me, Greg, I shared that freely with everybody around me. And the thing that was interesting at the time to observe was not a lot of people did it because it was it definitely took some extra work. Uh, which was interesting, but I, I share that same mindset. I've always taken that into my sales organization, my company, my family. And I think the point here is people listening. Um, it was interesting. I was giving a talk on just entrepreneurship at a local college uh, a couple months ago. And I was talking about, you know what, a rising tide lifts all boats. And if we can serve and support our peers and people around us, and we can build our success on the success of others, we're ultimately going to achieve things that we'd maybe only even dreamed of. And that was so counterintuitive to this younger generation that was focused on how do I get ahead? What do I need to do? How do I get past and around this other person? But what we're talking about here is a completely different focus. And it really comes from that focus of just like Christ modeled to us is how do we bring out that unique value, that best in others around us? See, what's in them that maybe they don't see themselves, and then bring that to the surface. I love what you shared about creating a healthy environment in a company, nurturing people's abilities. And when you do that, you just set loose just so much power and innovation and creativity and enjoyment and, and healthy relationships that, that business, is, is, it has to succeed in that environment, unless your market's just horrible, but... Yeah, even if your market's horrible, you'll create a market. Yeah, because people, because you know, it's true, John, right? Because people are drawn to that type of energy. You know, it's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus was the greatest marketer of all time, and he didn't have the internet. You know that Jesus walked into towns and he had thirty thousand people on hillsides. I mean, you know, he died, and he influenced the entire globe prior to any type of telephone, any type of, you know, telecommunications, any kind. I mean, you, you, you live those principles. You, you sell anything. <laughs> you can sell anything um, because people are drawn to that. Because now we're talking about, John, the soul. And we're talking about the common denominator worldwide is that every human being has a soul. And that soul, in some cases, goes really, really dry and unnurtured, unfertilized, mm. and watered. And there's some of you guys out there in the audience listening to this right now. You know what I mean, right? I mean, bad upbringings, you know, foster 
your foster child, you know, whatever it is. I, I heard a great story, watched a great story about a, a boxer in the UK named John Bang Riley. And uh, man, when I watched him on video and heard his story, powerful. I mean, he had everything going against him. He's a huge success today. Um, but everyone has this soul. And John, if you can create, it's not what you, that's why I said it doesn't matter what project I'm doing. I'm creating a dynamic environment that nurtures and waters and revitalizes the human soul. I call it pricking the soul. Mm. And when you prick the soul, people don't even know what happened. They just walk away and go, I just, that was, I just felt different being around that. I, they don't even know what it is, John. They just go, this, uh, I feel good. A good buddy of mine, Bobby Gross in St. Petersburg, you know, I know him for 30 years. We've been buddies for 30 years. And he always says the nicest things to me, man. He, you know, and you need this, right, guys? I need to hear these things. I don't walk around like this, this confident guy and always, no. And Bobby would always say, we get a, we get, we go out, we go away every year, a couple times a year, just the guys, and we travel around different parts of the world. And and Bobby was saying to me, we're sitting in it someplace, and he always go, Greg, I always like myself better when I'm with you. I always like, and this is a highly successful guy, CEO, he says, I always like myself better when I'm with you. And, you know, and I, and I look at him, and I go, and I what, like what myself. A great, what a great testimony right there, Greg, just of who you are. That's awesome. Well, it's not, and everyone has this in them, you know, and just, I'm just, you become aware of, I try to inspire people, you know, I try to really, really just believe in people. It's, 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 it's the power of what we're to do, right? So these are really, so when someone's soul is touched, they, they walk away and it's different. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what you're selling anymore. They want to be around you, right? Now, when you start to really get in t intentional about that stuff. And I started to realize, wow, I can really do great. Because John, here's my, my thing in life. You can do good things alone. No question about it. You can do really good things by yourself, but you'll never do anything great alone. You need others. Yeah. So, and then, so then how do you do the impossible? And I'm about the impossible, man. I'm about defying the odds because because I believe there's a really big God out there, man, that, that, that says you can do, he said, I didn't say it. He said, you can do anything, anything. There's no limits on what you can do out there. And so I realized that I have, I need others. And so that began my journey. Even what I'm doing now, John, is to, how do I, you know, I took my messages were to CEOs or to startups, you know, leaders that came to me and said, we need your help. Can you jump on board with us? Can you help make this happen? And I did. And I did it multiple times. You know, I always say I'm batting a thousand. You know, not everything made money, but everything we did, we succeeded. We got to the market. And that's what I'm really proud of. I bat a thousand. And that's so I'm working with a company in St. Petersburg helping helping a CEO get himself to the next level. I looked at him and I said, hey, I, I hope this is not going to be my pop-up to short. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I got to hit every time up so far. So I hope this is not my pop up to short, man. Um, so, but, but my point is, you know, I, I don't want to just, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to now take my message, take my experiences, take my, the platforms of achievement, platforms of failure. And I want to be able to share it to the multitudes. I want to be able to give them now what I've been giving CEOs and companies and, and teams around me. Like I've influenced, you know, you know, thousands of people around me, you know, over the last 15 years in the projects. But now I want to influence millions, tens of millions of people worldwide. And so 
my drive now is same motivation, man. Same ethos is how do I create a transformative, you know, concept of and, and, and to him much is given, much is required. And yeah, so, and what, what does that look like for you over the next six to twelve months? I know you're you're making this shift from working with individuals and working on projects, small and large, to really this this larger scale to you know much more much higher impact with more people. It's funny, you know, John, it's, uh, I tell you, it's like anything else. Any, It's a startup, <laughs> you know, so um, I'm building it like I built every other company. You know, it's a startup. I have to figure it out as you go. I got to be willing to, to call audibles down the road. I don't plan too far in advance because never really things happen in the present that alter your future. But um, I'm definitely launching my website um, probably by the time this show's launched, you know, as my, my site will be out there, gregcentineo.com. And, um, but, um, um, I just did my first series video series about a week ago. I recorded 11 part series, uh, little short 20, 25 minute vignettes on how to capitalize ideas, how to capitalize a startup. How do you treat invest things that I did and succeeded at the highest levels? I'm now making, I'm putting into bite size, you know, portions. So, so that people out there can, can do these things. And so, but at the same time, John, I don't want to just be a talking person talking head out there just talk about the experiences i still have to be active in what i do because i i love to be in the game so i'm going to continually work with companies and ceos out there even some startups that you know i get a lot of opportunities so i'm going to try to balance this out between me getting my content my information out there so it can help the masses and uh, at the same time also keep myself involved in um in great big audacious you know ideas you know, one thing I'd I'd love for you to share a little bit is kind of your philosophy. You know, you've built these these teams and these projects. You've talked about, you know, developing, you know, these healthy environments. You know, when you're looking at bringing somebody onto your team or into a project, a lot of us are, you know, we're building companies, we're entrepreneurs, we have to hire people. You have a, f- a philosophy about how you've done that and what you look for in people. What are red flags? Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, um, John, it's become it's really become an art for me, and um, it's one of my strongest skill sets is 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 team building. Um, I don't know why I have it, John. You know, so if somebody asks, you know, I don't know if it's God given. I don't know if it's developed over time. I mean, I get a, quite, a lot of questions like, "What have you done to acquire these skill sets?" But you know, it, I, I I simply boil it down for myself is that one, I don't I don't look at if I'm doing a project, if, whether it's animation, whether it's digital human holograms, whether it's Broadway or if it's, uh, you know, a tech startup with gamification, um, I don't, when I build a team, now again, I'm not talking about the specifics of the tech technicalities of, of if you're doing a, an animation film, you got to hire animators. I'm talking about the teams that, sur- the animators don't build companies, by the way. They create characters, right? What builds companies are teams around the animators because the animators can't do anything without money. They can't do anything without vision. They can't do anything without story. So what I'm talking about now is the peripheral team that's the most important team that drives an idea, that wills it into existence. That's the team I'm talking about building. I never hire people that are in the industries, ever. I look for people that I believe have certain characteristics. One, positive human beings. Positive human beings. People that work hard at something. You know, um, I talked about Jules a lot, you know, yeah. 
you know, when I brought Jules on, it was, that was my first, first team member that I built onto the Legends of Oz project. And she came on in 09 and she was a, she was divorced, four kids, all under the age of 11. Um, she had no experience in being involved in building a company, animation company, capitalizing a company, no experience in that. Her, her degree, her master's degree was in, uh, was in physical therapy and so forth. And she was a mom. And, but what did I see in her? Let me tell you what I saw in her. And again, this, it, also, there's two things, two ways to look at this, too. I saw a woman with a great body. So there's no question about that. She was in the gym. I met her in the gym. But, but, but it wasn't so much, it was the fact that she worked out so hard and consistently at it that she had a great body while she had four kids under the age of 11. Now, so John, you know how difficult that is for, for a woman to have kids and go to the, and so I saw discipline in that. I saw tenacity. I saw commitment to herself. That regardless of, of the overwhelming responsibilities of four little kids, she made sure she took care of herself and she did it to the point where she looked outstanding. Okay? That was a characteristic I, you need in anything that you're doing. Tenacity. Self-discipline. The ability to do it. You know, even when all the odds are against you. Four little kids. Every odd was against her every day to get to the gym. No question about it. She overcame those things. And made, how do I know? The evidence was in her body. So when I was building my team, I needed an assistant. So I needed somebody that knew how to get over obstacles. How, did she get over obstacles? Every single day of her life. I knew it. So that characteristic, I knew I needed. So I brought her on as my assistant. I was 100% correct. When I did that, because she got a, we, we when we build a company, whether it's an animation film or anything, just you know the whole thing is it's 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 solving problems. That's all it is. It's getting over obstacles. That's all life is: is solving x amount of obstacles to succeed. You know, hey, I want to go to the mall today. Okay, what are the obstacles? Well, I got a phone call at one. I got a phone call at three. Uh, I got to eat at five. Uh, uh, the mall closes at nine. If you conquer the obstacles. Get yourself to the mall sometime. That's solve the problem. You got to the mall. It's so you're doing a startup. You're capitalizing a company. You're going on the mission field. You want to impact millions of people. Uh, what are the obstacles? You got to have people around you that know how to solve the problem and are willing to look at the problem and going, we'll figure it out. So positive people who have these characteristics, and John, I've built teams like this. And so what I end up what I what I end up surrounding myself with is outstanding human human beings. Outstanding human beings. I can teach them what we're doing. You understand? But I can't teach them to be outstanding human beings. They already are. You give me an outstanding human being, I tell them what we're doing, why we're doing it. And how I think we should be doing it, and 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 create a, a positive, nurturing environment that 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 literally taps into them, and pulls out of them who they are, and allows them to be and do what they're great at. And John, you do great things that were once called impossible. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. So you're looking for who? It's not the what, why, and how, but you're looking for that right person who. Who is that person you want on their team for that role? Because you know with that right person, you can teach, train, equip, and empower them and launch them into even things that they didn't even know that they were capable of because you're seeing it because of who they are as you're getting to know them, bringing them onto the team. 
And that's the challenge to leaders out there. So if you're a leader in our audience, then what John just said is exactly right. Your job as a leader is not to run in front of everybody with, you know, with the sword out running, screaming charge. Yeah, with all the answers. (laughs) Right. Because, no, what I did was I changed it. I read a lot of books on servant leadership, you know, over the last 25, 30 years. And what I realized was to be a great leader, I have to be, I have to lead from behind. I have to see my team. I have to understand my team, you know, and I have to be able to know what my team needs, what each to, to know my teammates, you know, on an intimate basis. You know what I mean, John? Know them personally, understand their situations, uh, understand their personal lives because their personal lives. You always say, hey, leave your personal life. When you come to the office, leave that personal life at home. No, you can't. That's impossible. So. It's all part of it. It's cumulative. You take the entire human being and their extended families, and you have to understand these people. You have to be there. And so you're building a healthy community, you know, ecclesia, you know, as Jesus said, the assembling of the people. And you're building a healthy community where it's enriched with great people, positive energy, and problems. You know, I used to say, look, if, if dogs can talk, and they had skills. I'd hire dogs to do it, but <laughs> but they don't do it. They can't do it, John. So I got to work with people. And you know, when you work with people, you're inheriting problems. You're gonna have problems. So so create environments that allow for you to lead in those situations and to and to un- and just, it's so it's common sense, man. It's like leave your problems at home. Really? Okay. They tell you they did, and they show up, and they're a mess. They're not working. They're not performing. But they're not talking about their problem. But you think it's okay. No. it's You're not getting the results. You're not getting the best out of that person. So as a leader at times, you have to get involved in that. You've got to get involved in that and to help you know, bring semblance to that advice, wisdom, etc. And, and love, more important than anything, that they feel like, I feel like you know, I can conquer anything. Not just the project, John, but their home problems as well. See, it's holistic. And so when I've done that, John, that's, that's the power. And for the leaders out there, stop, stop I, I would say, recommend, stop yelling charge and running with the sword and have everybody follow you because you, you don't know what your team is going through. Once you do and you can nurture that team, what I've experienced is that my team has performed at the highest levels in the world and have performed and have accomplished some of the, the things that have never been accomplished in history. And these are all, let's call them common, ordinary people that were extra, extra special people when they when they were fed and nurtured the right way, and they performed amazingly at those platforms. Man, that is awesome, Greg. I could talk to you for hours. Um, if people want to connect with Greg, it's Greg Centineo. That's C E N T I N E O. dot com. It'll also be on our website, on our show notes for this. And man, so many powerful things we talked about today, Greg. Um, I just love how you shared your heart and what you shared. And if anybody out there, whatever resonated with you, please go, go to the, go to the, the blog post, the show notes for this, and just share with us what your takeaways were, what you did with that, you know, what you're going to be doing next. Uh, Greg and I would both love to hear from you. And just as we wrap up, Greg, just any final thoughts from you? Yeah, John, you know, you had asked a question like favorite verse. And I have a, I have a few of them, no question about it. But one apropos right now is the verse, if you want to be first, be last. Mm-hmm. If you want to be last, be first. And so, you know, you want to cross the finish line ahead of everybody, you won. You were first. 
but you really lost because everybody that's crossing after you crosses after you. Yeah, you you know, congratulations, you won. But but in their eyes, in their eyes, you won. Mm-hmm. If you want to be first, Jesus said, be last. And what that means is you help everybody else over the over the get past the finish line. And you finish last. But you know what, man? In everybody's eyes, you won. You're the winner. And at the end of the day, man, that's what it's all about, man. So being first in the world that we live in says beat everybody. Beat everybody. Lead from the front. Charge. You know, cross as the leader. Jesus said, no, listen, you want to be first? He said, you be last. You help everybody else get across. And when you do that as a leader, man, I mean, it's there's limitless opportunities, John. So... That's what I want. I got so many other verses, but that's the most apropos verse for today's conversation. That is awesome, brother. If there's anything at all I can ever do for you or anything you're working on or our community can do for you, man, do not hesitate to reach out. And um, I'd love people to just plug into you and get to know you the way I have um, in our conversations. It's just been so enriching. And uh, once again, I, I thank you for who you are, buddy. Um, you're a light out there that this world needs because there's so much good that we can all accomplish and and, and things that uh, can happen. And we just have to, you know what we have to do? It's like we're all been given this Maserati to drive and we're trying to drive around with the parking brake on. And all, we, <laughs> we just got to drop the parking brake and, you know, find some other people in your life and pull them in and be in a relationship with other people that have figured out how to drop that parking brake and just pound on the, uh, the, the, the go, the go pedal. Love it, John. John, thank you for what you do as well, man. This is a tremendous channel that you have for people out there, both, you know, in the faith and, and out of the faith, you're inspiring people. And that's what faith is all about, to inspire people to be everything that God intended them to be. And thank you for what you do, John. It's always, always a privilege for me and a pleasure talking with you man i think we have such good good synergy together and i love the dialogues are always high level dialogues and i I really appreciate the podcast and and what it's doing out for the for the people in 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 the uh in the world that we live in thanks for listening to eternal leadership be sure to check the summary of this mp3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.